Well, guess what I figured out? You like stories. <laughs> You're back. Look, it's episode two of the Please Do Tell podcast with your homegirl, Ronika. Welcome back, y'all. Welcome, welcome back. So, I've been getting a lot of feedback about episode one. I so appreciate you all. Um, a lot of people didn't realize how to pronounce my real name, which is it's kind of funny because it's even on my Instagram. Uh, the I think it's in my profile. I, I think I have RJ Dub, and this is also known as, and I I actually um, phonetically spelled it out. So. But I appreciate you all, your feedback, um, everything, all all the responses to the first episode. So that's why we're still pushing through and doing it again. So we're here. So this episode, I told a few people that it probably will be quite heavy. And I just want you to be along for the ride because you're getting to know a little bit about me, a little bit more about my story and or my journey, I should say, and how our stories can help, heal, and encourage others. So let's get to it. Had quite a few triggers since the Last time that we spoke, it's like both literal and in other ways, it was it was more triggers of memories with seeing certain people and seeing certain things and uh, different. Just different. I'm just going to say it was a lot going on within the last two weeks. So I want you to sit down, think about some of the things that I'm going to say to you. Even spark a conversation with a friend or a family member and just move forward. And if at the end of this episode you want resources of who to talk to, I got you. Okay, I got you. When the first episode premiered on August 4th of this year, 2020, I was actually on the corner of, and I think I've told you before, yeah, I'm from small town, Ben Harbor, Michigan. It's on the corner of Britain and McAllister. Well-known church that's on that corner. And it was election day. It was the primary election. So one of my homegirls was out there. She was doing like voter education. She had the ballots out there. If you had any questions before you were headed to the polls, she was right there for you. And she even had the cutest little sign on her table that said, uh, blow if you or beep your horn if you voted today. So it was actually cute and funny when people, teens that I've even worked with would ride by and not even notice me because we had our mask on. And would stop, kind of slow down, read the sign, blow, and just wave. So once they blew, we would wave. And I was only out there with her for maybe an hour, hour and a half. So that time was impactful because it was all also time for us to, I don't want to say judge, but 
look at certain people. It's like, did you mail in your ballot? Did you vote today? Uh, it was a lot of people that just kind of look like, mm, okay. But you're also hoping that, hey, if they didn't go to the polls, hopefully they mailed in a ballot. But there were people that did stop. And, hey, you know, we were, we don't know where our polling location is. Or people were calling saying, hey, we don't know where our polling location is. So that was cool. People were not going to let anything stop them from voting that day. So that was really good to see. It was around a little before 5 o'clock. We had one of the city commissioners come by and she said she wanted to meet um, who was working with the Democratic Party and just introduce herself. So we were out there chatting and it was some commotion on the next corner. The police were already there trying to, you know, figure that out. And within minutes, we hear gunshots. Gunshots that almost kind of make you feel like it's it was fireworks, but it was broad daylight. It was, like I said, it was a little before five. And all you could do is just kind of stop in your tracks. You, you know, what do you do? Which way do you go? Do you drop? What? It... It left you frozen or numb. Like, no, this, this, there's no shootout in the middle of the day. Like, no, that, that, that didn't happen. Like, no way. And the commissioner said, the city commissioner said, oh, no, that, that was definitely shooting. Like, it was probably a block away from where we were standing. She was able to look down the street and see what was going on. But the alarming thing for me was... As I've stated previously, that I work with teens for at a local organization, and to see three—I know for sure—at least three of the teens that I work with come from walking that way, and there was no urgency, there was no running, there was no anything, as if that this was normal for them. This was normal for them. For me, it was, okay, take cover. Where do we go? We need to pack up. We need to leave. But for them, it's just like, this could happen at any time. This was us, I think it was last summer or last spring. We were walking some kids to the to, to one of the freeze cup houses. Now, you know what the freeze cup house is. I know y'all probably call it something else in other places. But, you know, the freeze cup lady or the candy lady, the candy house. And one of my coworkers' husbands called her and said, where are you? They're shooting a couple streets over. There was a shooting a couple streets over. Why is this normal? Why is this normal for some people? Like, for me, it would be, it, that's not the norm for me. It's not. So to know that a lot of our kids deal with that day in and day out, or they, it's just, that's just how it is, Ms. RJ. That's that's just what happens. During COVID, there's been plenty of funerals. There's been shootings. And I'm just like, what do we do? How did everyone get so trigger happy? What did I miss? When did life become invaluable? It's been so many times before that even when you look on the 
some of the comments on Facebook and you see some of the comments, some of the racist comments. Here's the thing with that. Now that's so normal to me that it doesn't even bother me anymore. Or I know not to even go there. Because I'm like, oh, that's the one good thing that came out of 45 being in office. And it's not even a good thing. I'm just going to say it's awareness from that person being in office is that racism or racist They're not even afraid anymore. They're like, no, I'm just going to continue to make these comments on a public platform and let you know how I really feel. And it's more and more of those comments, more and more. But I'm getting upset because I don't want our young men between the ages of 16 and 24 to feel like they have nothing to live for. So I'm going to look forward to the conversations that the future conversations that will be coming to the forefront with uh, some of our OGs. So I just want you to stay tuned for that. That is going to be amazing. It's going to be impactful. And I'm sure it's going to change some lives. How did that affect me? I saw that there was a need for change in that moment. It was that moment that maybe we would have picked up and decided to take the table to another corner. I was just there visiting my homegirl, my friend, who's just out here in the neighborhood doing some good, trying to make sure that the black folks get out there and vote. Not once, not once did we think about a drive-by shooting, especially in broad daylight. What was the reason behind it? We probably will never know. Did I know the young men that were shot? Sure do. Two of them have been in my car before. On our way to the college to register for school. A little over a year ago. Do I want more for our young people? You damn right I do. Do I want to have more resources in place for them to thrive? Yep. I think we all do, right? I don't want them to feel like they don't have any purpose out here. So the next time, and it may be a little scary, but the next time that you see a young man, a young man doing something that, or potentially about to do something that can ruin his life, pull pull him to the side and tell him that his life has meaning. We have to be more intentional with that. And we have to be more intentional with telling our stories so more events like this do not continue. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by a Black-owned business called Adventurously Simple. 
I love Adventurously Simple because I have unique, and I do mean unique, one-of-a-kind items from this Black-owned business that is based out of Arizona, and I know the owner very, very well. She is passionate about everything she does. She puts love into every thread, every pattern that she puts together. It is a unique brand that is designed with you in mind. I want you all to go over to their Facebook page, their Instagram, and check out Adventurously Simple and see what you can purchase today. I promise you, you won't be disappointed. She does prom dresses. She does t-shirts. She does masks. She was out here doing masks when before we needed them on a daily basis. She was doing. She was ahead of the game. So be sure to check out Adventurously Simple online on Facebook and Instagram, and check out their website. Okay, shop Adventurously Simple. Okay, and. Tell her that you heard it on this podcast, okay? Well, let's get back to the show. So, about grad school. (laughs) When I was blogging faithfully for last, um, maybe I was blogging for probably a little over two years on stilllens.com. And those were stories of just how I've arrived to the place that I was at that current time. So even every November, we would do the Still Thankful Challenge. And it would be still thankful for not actual things, but the example would be friendship or neighborhood or love. And you would tell a story about that. But Motivational Monday would be stories that I would put together of like life events. So I'm not sure if I ever told that story. I know I've told the story on the Final 48 Project platform, but I'm not sure if I've told it on the still lens. But I feel like I've told it quite a bit, even in interviews. So the three promises. Three promises that I made my dad before he died, like in the last 48 hours with him, was to finish grad school with high honors, uh, to do a children's book and to dedicate the first one to him. And then the third one was to live out this dream of doing documentaries and telling more of our story. So I went through that whole program at Duke and... I finished grad school at North Carolina Central, and then I did the children's book, which is The Adventures of Alley Cast, that first book, The Missing President. But I will tell you this. I did a little, you know, switcheroo when it comes to um, grad school. So what did I do? Let me tell you what I did. Let me tell you what I did. So I went back to grad school. Sure did. Went back. But um, I switched my major. (laughs) I started out as a history major. And things weren't going as planned. I was looking like, oh, my gosh, it's going to be. I don't want to teach history. What am I doing? 
let me do something that I love to do, which is the archives. I love the archives. I can spend hours in any archives. So I said, well, let me follow the path of doing that. So I went back. They said, hey, you know, we looked at your transcript. If you go back and do the foreign language exam and finish just a few classes, you'll be done in a year. So I did that. Graduated, had a job in Dallas that I worked for a year, and then I moved back home. And so fast forward, (laughs) fast forward, I'm at homecoming, and I'm on the yard. I'm getting down. I mean, boogieing. Turn to the right. It's the mentor that introduced me to... North Carolina Central. He says to me, Hey, Miss Williams, how you doing? Hey, I'm good. When you coming to finish that history degree? I'm sorry, what? <laughs> and if you know a black homecoming and you know on the yard what y'all doing? Y'all partying. You're like, y'all been partying since before noon. So by this time, it's probably around 6 p.m. I said, oh, um, mm. <laughs> well, I'll think about it. Right next to him is the chair of the department. Hey, Miss Williams, how you doing? Okay, good. At this point, I'm trying to just come too because, you know, we've been on a high all day. And he said, hey, can you, um, so I need you to email me on Monday so we can look at your transcripts and see how much you have left to finish this degree. Okay, all right. So I I did that. It was quite a few back and forth. You know, I came back to Michigan. I sent the email. I wasn't following directions at first. He said, hey, can you reach out to um, to the graduate program director? Can you do that? I'm just like, okay, all right. So you have to reapply. You have to do this. You have to do that. And I just kept thinking, is this worth it? Is it? Like, is it for real? <sighs> Until I applied and I got the <laughs> I got the email back saying, you just need to complete the assessment, the examination, excuse me, the examination and the thesis and you'll be done. Here I am. The only reason why I did not (laughs) do the history program is I was terrified of that examination. Terrified. Terrified. I I watched former classmates who is funny is now a couple of them are now PhDs, but I saw them go through the process of stressing out, going through like, oh, man, I got to memorize this. I got to memorize that. I just didn't want no problem. But I also remember that this is the original degree that I went down there for. 
And this is the degree I actually said that I would finish. My dad knew nothing about library science and archives. He actually thought it was just like, why are you doing a history degree? But it's neither here nor there. Uh, so the exam was on, I believe it was on Halloween. When I tell you sweating bullets didn't sleep the night before, I didn't want to be late. I didn't even stay with my friends. I got an Airbnb just to prepare for the exam. Like, okay, you've, you've done the readings. You've, you've tried to self-sabotage this moment for so long. And you know, self-sabotage is real, right? It's, it's real. You've tried to do this for so long. Now you're here. Now you're here. What you going to do, girl? You going to sink or swim? So I went in there with my snacks, <laughs> my water, and I took that exam. I think we had to be there by 9 a.m. I left there a little after 4, a little after 4 p.m. Had one bathroom break. I mean, we can go and go in and out as we please, but I think I only, I honestly, I only think I went to the restroom one time. My nerves was bad. When I turned it in to the program director, he just said, it's over. How you feeling? I said, hey, I just kind of left it all on the table. I left it all in this booklet. I, I, I can't do anything else. He said, well, we'll let you know in a couple weeks, you know, if you passed or failed. What? <laughs> Why are you going to let me know in a couple weeks if I passed or failed? What you mean? Whew. Anxiety was on another level. What did I do when I left there? I went outside and I called my friends. I said, what time are we meeting for margaritas? It's Halloween. You know I ain't got no costume to wear. You know I don't do that. I wear the same thing every day. If you don't know me, I wear a black shirt and whatever bottom. That's what I do. That's what I do. <laughs> so I went. I came back to Michigan after spending a few more days with my friends and literally watched my email and was scared every time I opened it. What kind of fear was I living in? I had, I had probably a mustard seed of faith that I had passed this test because I had already psyched my mind out like, girl, you didn't avoid it this for like, yeah, you may have did the readings. You may have quoted some things, but she probably left out a few sources. And that's all I kept thinking about. Like, girl, did you did you record that source? Oh, I don't know if I record that source. That's all I kept thinking about. Until a few weeks later, I got an email. And you know how you can kind of preview your email without opening it? said, Dear Miss Williams, we have the results of your exam. I'd like to tell you congratulations. Your next step is to apply for graduation. I was numb. I was excited. I also thought that this degree could have been done a long time ago if I wasn't 
triggered by so many things. Grief. Fear. It was like each bullet that came out of the chamber had had those words written on it and kept me from moving forward with some things, that, some goals that I had set forth for myself. And I told the program director before I left out that day, and I said, you know, I have to apologize for not always responding to emails right away. I can admit that I was trying to self-sabotage. I felt like I didn't deserve to finish this degree because I knew so many, so many scholars that have went through the program and finished. And like I said, that are now PhDs. And I just felt like I wasn't worthy. And he said, Miss Williams, yes, you are. So here I am looking at my laptop as of today and looking at a thesis project that will be completed by December. Would have been spring, but thank you, COVID. That's sarcasm. But um, I, I needed a few more months to really work some things out and figure some things out, map some things out, and see where I'm going. So... I refuse to let fear or grief keep me from where I'm supposed to be. And I want you to do the same. I'll be right back with um, Grief Talk Tuesday. All right. Be right back. Okay, y'all. So I'm just going to tell it to you just like this. Just like this. I love me some nail polish. And this is probably another story for another day. But I am in need, and I found a few on Facebook and Instagram, but if you can provide me with like a list of black-owned nail polish brands, like just drop it in the comments on the Instagram page, I'd appreciate it. So this is an ad, but not really an ad, but it's an ask. I am looking to showcase black-owned nail polish brand so if you know some hit your girl up okay go on the please do tell podcast instagram you can go on my personal facebook find me tag them do something i want to start highlighting them because i've been wearing the same brand for a long time and they they ain't checking for your girl <laughs> so and once I've heard that I'm like oh yeah there's black on nail polish brands out there okay well I want to show them some love okay so if y'all could do that for me I'd appreciate it so let's get back to the show and wrap it up so 
I know recently we've talked a lot about COVID and it has given us the opportunity to also talk about grief. So I also want to kind of talk about the two together and how it has impacted my time at home, impacted like my family's time at home and what we're what we've been doing with that time. So there's been a lot of projects that have popped up, a lot of podcasts that have popped up, a lot of things have popped up during COVID. But the one constant is grief. And I love the fact that we are providing more resources and platforms like Black Girl Therapist and Black Girl Therapy and all of that. Well, that was actually pre-COVID, but we're really highlighting it now and how important it is to talk about and take care of your mental health. So I can tell you a little bit about what we've been doing during this time. So as I've said before, (laughs) I feel like I'm saying that a lot, but as I've said before, my dad died February of 2013, 2013. So we're in 2020 now. So it's been about seven, well, it's been a little over seven years ago, seven and a half. No, we're not a half yet. A little over seven years ago. Yeah, it's been a half. Okay, do my math. And my garage was full of stuff, full of stuff, his stuff. His stuff. And it came to a point where I couldn't even park my car in there, like, comfortably. It seems like his stuff was all around. I'm talking about tools, a bed, uh, just stuff. I, I, I can't even remember. I don't want to remember. It was so much stuff that I was getting claustrophobic just dry, pulling into my garage. So had a conversation with my mom, and it's a lot of conversations I've been having with her during COVID. I mean, it's clearly, oh, my gosh, this is real. Like, grief is is real. I mean, I, I know that I went through my whole grieving process, and I've learned ways of coping with it, and I have my days when I'm just, like, devastated, and I have my days when... I'm just kind of all over the place, but I have some days where it's just really happy memories, like finding a camcorder and VHS tapes. Thank God we still kept that VHS player, okay? Able to see my dad, like, cracking jokes, because my dad, listen, funny, and able to see him laughing and smiling and just being him it's just like oh my gosh it's like the best thing that could have happened during this pandemic was going through every box that was in the garage and finding things that reminded me of him boxes that have been either in a storage space or Ended up in my garage or my mom's garage for seven years. And if you know anything about numbers or believe in numbers and seven being the number of completion and not saying that our grief journey is is ever over, but 
it was like, this is the year to let go. And what did that look like? It was scary for both of us. But it was almost like the boxes were organized in such a way that it was just like, okay, this was the last year of my life. This was the last two years of my life. I want you to be able to see what I went through the last three, four years of my life. Like looking at hospital bills, correspondence, picture stuffed and stuff because that's that was that was his thing he would just like kind of throw a picture in something and then you find it's like oh my gosh um but I mean I've went through other stuff of his before but this was actually going through everything and purging things that we no longer needed Things that we thought we needed, but we no longer need it. And there's one thing that I can say that I've been holding on to because I'm just like, oh, my husband's going to be able to fit this coat. It's a, <laughs> and as I look up on my on my bookshelf, it's, it's a picture of my dad in this black cashmere coat. And I keep it in my closet. And my mom's like, oh, well, maybe you can wear it one day. Child, I put that coat on. I look... It ain't flattering. So (laughs) I keep saying, okay, well, maybe my husband will be able to fit it. But what if it's just something I'm just supposed to let go of, like give it to a good home? Because it's in great shape. It's been dry cleaned. But why am I waiting for something like that? Is that, I mean, I don't think my one of my dad's wishes was make sure this cashmere coat go to a good home. <laughs> like I don't think I don't think that was the case. So I need to or I've learned to let go of things, even if they were my dad's, that don't serve a purpose in my life anymore. Cause my dad was not a clutter bunny. <laughs> he listen, <clears throat> excuse me. He couldn't stand clutter. Just hated it. Dad was military. Everything was always organized in some certain form or fashion or something. But even when you went into the garage, he had everything organized in there. And he just did not. He couldn't stand clutter. Could not. So if he was alive he'd probably be looking like what why is you keeping this what what are we doing what are we doing what so able to call friends like we had a few friends that were moving hey do you need a new bed because that bed was clearly brand new you need a bed come get it um just other stuff like just come get it but fast forward the couple last couple of weeks and how important a support system, accountability, just friends are in my life. And them saying, hey, you know, if you need help clearing anything out, your house, your mom's house, I'm, I'm here. Like, we're here. Which has been the biggest blessing ever. So I had a friend come over the Saturday before last and just kind of assess some things because we're, we're cleaning out the houses and like pitching stuff and everything. And 
my mom got this burst of energy like, hey, let's load up the pickup truck, which we still have my dad's pickup truck. <laughs> um, she said, let's load up the pickup truck and let's head to the dump. Like they close at noon. We can load it up and get on there. And I said, okay, well, we should be there before noon. Hopefully don't they don't close it down on us or anything. We're driving, giggling, all this other stuff. We get to the to the dump. She was like, Oh gosh, I hope I have enough cash <laughs> to pay them. So we get to the dump, we pay our fare, and I tell her, I said, Hey, just go around the around the corner. I'll show you where to park. And go from there. We're backing in. See a black man in a pickup truck. He's like half in the truck, half out of it. And he says, hey, my window is down. I'm on the passenger side. My mom's backing up to the, to the, um, to the huge dumpster where we have to pitch everything, like literally throw stuff over into it. And he says, hey. And I look over. And I said, hey. Then I look at him in his eyes and I said, hey. Now, mind you, my dad had been on. I woke up with my dad on my mind this morning. Like that Saturday morning. I It's, it's really not a day that goes by that I don't think about him. Because, you know, I mean, triggers are real. So I, I may ride down Main Street and ride past the house that he lived in at 1070 East Main. And. Or I'll ride past the street of one of the properties that he owned. Or every time I'm with my mom and I see the pickup truck, I mean, that could be a trigger too. Just certain things. Or what I look on my bookshelf, there's a picture of him and I. It's certain things that will trigger a memory for me. So I was a little like blah that morning, but I was happy. I was still happy. I was on my bike and everything. So when my mom said, let's go to dumpster, I was just elated. So... Like I said, we backed up. I see this. I see this black man, and uh, it's my dad's best friend. The friend that would come over almost daily <laughs> when I, you know, when I was was I out of college? Yeah, I was out of college and I moved back home. Mr. Anderson would come over there almost every day. He'd knock on the door. He said, hey, is your dad home? Hello. I can even mock how he would say hello. And hey, is your dad home? Yeah, he in there. So they even took classes together. They started a business together like thick as thieves. Like my dad has brothers, like real brothers, like blood brothers. But Mr. Anderson was like his right-hand man. A friend that he could trust. My dad had friends growing up, but I can remember Mr. Anderson being a constant. So when I looked over and I see Mr. Anderson, all I could do is chuckle because I'm like, oh my gosh, guy has such a sense of humor. Out of all the people I could have seen at the dump today, I see Mr. Anderson. So when I get out, I said, oh, it's COVID. I would give you a hug, but it's COVID. He was like, oh, yeah, you got to keep your distance. 
and he said, I watched the truck back up. And my emotions just start going all over the place. Because I kept saying, is that it? Is it not? Is it that it? Is it not it? Because he still has the vision of my dad driving that truck. And just how his body language changed and his, just the way he talked changed in that moment. And I can remember how hurt he was when he didn't even know my dad was sick because my dad didn't tell anyone. And in that moment, I was reminded that black men grieve too. Black men cry. Black men get emotional. Black men don't always tell their stories. But I know that Mr. Anderson is a person that was never shy about how he felt about my dad. Never. I will respect Mr. Anderson for the rest of my life because you don't find friends like that often. And I hear black men all the time say, hey, we don't get together, we don't do stuff. But this, that friendship was an example of black men can work together. They can agree to disagree. But the one thing that I can only ask of Mr. Anderson is that whenever I see him is that he shares stories of my dad. Because he's got them. He's got them. So on this Grief Talk Tuesday, I want you to, I'm challenging you to encourage a black man that you know to tell his journey of grief, whether it's a friend whether it's a spouse, it's a child, it's a parent. I want our black men to heal. Our black women have carried that torch from long enough of being the pillars of strength and taking care of everybody. I want the black men to take care of themselves too. I'll need a minute. I'll be right back. All right, y'all. So let's say wrap up this show. I have a little story bite. Today, um, as we are still floating on the speech delivered by the the first lady, the forever first lady of these United States, Mrs. Michelle Obama. Um, if you haven't went, to, if you haven't listened to it, child, go listen to it. Like right after you listen to this episode, just go listen to it. It will bless your soul. Okay, 
God bless your soul. Another thing that happened yesterday is that our local 40 under 40 was announced. I had the privilege of being, no, let me, let me rewind that. Let me even tell you how I found out about 40 under 40 for Southwest Michigan. The first year I knew about it was in 2018 and child, I was looking for my people. Where they at? Where they at? Out of 40 people, it was two. Uno, dos. One black man, one black woman. Two. Two. I ain't going to apologize that. I'm like, Easter Ray, I'm, I'm rooting for everybody that's black. I got my safe houses, which if I haven't talked to you about safe houses yet, I'll probably have to wait until the next episode for that. But... I be looking for my people. You know how you be looking for your people on like Family Feud on the, or you be like, man, I really want the black family win on Family Feud. I know you do that. I, I know you do that. And that's not, please don't, please don't come for me. That's not racist at all. Uh, <laughs> but you do, you just get excited when you see people that look like you doing just good things. You just be like, hey, that's my cousin. And knowing you ain't related to them, but you be like, hey, they're my people. They're my people. But so when I earn my spot, on the 2019 list of 40 under 40, I had a very wise person tell me that it's time to pay it forward. On this year's list, we accounted for 10% of the people recognized. Next year, next year, you think we can get like 50%? You think we can get like 20 of us on there? You think? Possible. Just saying, kind of like how we were just rooting for the Oscars and the Grammys and stuff like that. We wanted to black it out, kind of like that. Cause you know, I'm, I'm I told you I'm feeling real Issa Rae-ish right now. Okay, so that's really all I got. <laughs> that's really all I got. Oh no, one more thing. We we um, it's it's um, what's today's day? August. Well, when you listen to this, it's going to be August 18th, 2020. We, um, we still looking for justice for, um, Breonna Taylor. I'm just going to put that out there. Okay. We, we still, we still looking for justice for Breonna Taylor. That's it. Thanks for listening. Talk to y'all later.